Forget everything you've ever heard about dieting. What if you could eat the foods you love and find a way to get fit that was actually enjoyable? Welcome to Have It All with Devin Alexander. The chef from TV's Biggest Loser has lost 70 pounds and kept it off for over 30 years. She has also helped others to stop yo-yo dieting and actually transformed their lives. Now, here's your host, Devin Alexander. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, And for those who are new, welcome. Um, I'm super excited to be here. Today is a different show than normal. As you know, I've... uh, kind of in recent weeks been interviewing a lot of people who are super high profile, who we've heard of, who uh, just have bajillions of followers and all sorts of things. And today I'm actually interviewing somebody or talking to somebody who you have seen the results of his work a million times over, but he's a behind the scenes guy who you would never in a million years realize the impact he's making until we unveil that today. So, uh, and he's a psychologist who, believe it or not, has was not only my psychologist who transformed me and helped me get over my food issues, uh, but also works on a lot of reality TV shows. I know a lot of you have no idea that shows like the giant reality shows and everything else have psychologists there for the contestants. So interestingly, he's going to talk about that and why they need psychologists. And we're going to debunk the myths about psychologists today, tell you how to um, determine whether you or like how you pick the right one for you and then talk about why behaviors are so difficult um, to change when we know what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, So this is like a super, super special show, and I hope everyone's going to continue to tune in. Um, I will first, as I always do, give you the jelly bean update. Um, Oh my God, I am just like head over heels, and the more time I spend with her and the older she gets, the more fun she's becoming. Um, It's been fun from the start, but we have this little routine now that every morning um, I, when she gets up, she doesn't wake up screaming, which is so nice. Like as long, I'm a pretty light sleeper and I obviously have her on a monitor. And so when I hear her fussing, I wake up and as long as it doesn't take me too long to get my butt out of bed, um, which it doesn't usually, uh, I literally can get in before she starts getting upset. And I, I literally walk in, I get this huge smile on her face. She'll even giggle a little when she realizes I'm about to pick her up and then I change her and feed her and then I just plop her on my bed um next to me because I usually am tired and (laughs) don't want to quite get out of bed I used to be one of those people who like bounced out of bed but it's a little earlier these days so I cuddle with her in the morning and it's just the greatest thing in the whole world um today is a monumental day for me and um and I'm going through one of the biggest decisions a chef ever has to make, in my view. I'm half joking and I'm half serious. But uh, I can actually start feeding her real food, which I think many of you know I have been um, so excited to do. Like, I can't wait. I swear I got a foodie child. Um, she looks at me as I eat my dinner and, like, makes her mouth move, and it's hysterical. Um, so I've been dying to feed her real food. And now I can't decide what to feed her first. Um, Part of me wants to feed her avocados because it's such a wholesome food and it's such a great, uh, I I basically just want to set her up for a life of health, obviously. Um, The doctor, you know, gave me a laundry list of choices and many, she said most people start with like grains, like a rice cereal or oatmeal and like no judgment if that's, anybody's choice to do. I know that most parents do that. Uh, I am a little bit worried. Um, probably it's funny that my psychologist is on the phone for this cause he's probably going to jump into this. Um, or I should say my former psychologist, um, is going to jump into this cause I'm, you know, with my food issues, obviously I don't want to project them on her, but I kind of don't want to start her on a starch. I want it to be, uh, there's something like a packaged starch, I should say. Like I either want it to be like a banana or a sweet potato or avocado or something like that, but I haven't decided which one. So that's my big dilemma for the day. And by the end of the day, I will have made that decision because I will have fed it to her. 
Um, but it's just super exciting to be hitting these milestones. She went to the doctor yesterday and um, she's a big girl. Um, she's in the 73rd percentile of both height and weight. So she's going to be tall. She's going to be big. And I knew that. And so again, that plays into me really, really wanting to make sure that I give her like set her up for health. Um, as everyone can understand, even though genetically, obviously it wouldn't be the same. Like I just, um, I have to keep my own personal neuroses that exist, uh, at bay. So on that note, that's the jelly bean update. Couldn't be more happy. Um, I'm starting to actually want to go out and socialize a little more again. So we're doing that and I'm doing that. I went out without her last night. Ah, um, and uh, it's great. I have great people that I trust to hang out with her. So I feel great on all of that. Okay. So now uh, I want to bring on my guest. His name is Dr. Barry Goldstein. And as I said, he's uh, been a psychologist for over 25 years. He's worked on a ton of reality shows. He's worked um, doing so many different things. And I'm not even going to read his resume because it's... Uh, it's one of those things like, trust me, I, I met him, I was 27, so 19 years ago, and from 27 to 32, um, so 19 to 14 years ago, he transformed me. Um, one of the things that I love, oh, and but I still talk to him on occasion, I should say, um, in many cases, um, to thank him, because when big things come up, I'm just like, oh my God, um, but Every once in a while, I'll be like, hey, I'm dating this guy, and he did this. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But he's one of the most generous people I've ever met in my entire life. And uh, as I said, completely transformed me. So welcome, Barry. Hey, Devin. How are you doing? Good. Um, so I guess I want to start by telling people really quickly that when I met you, at the time I met you, I didn't believe in psychology. Um, I know that a lot of people have a lot of preconceived notions that I really want to bust that like someone who goes, I don't think it's as bad now, but especially when I was growing up, like if you went to a psychologist, it was because something was wrong with you as if like something wrong, like bad, as opposed to like your thinking was a little off and you needed a little guidance, which is how I now think about it. But I will say that prior to meeting Dr. Barry, I had gone to a couple different psychologists. The first time I was in college and one of my really close friends died unexpectedly. Um, I was 19 and she was on the basketball team. And long story short, she had a heart attack, um, came back from studying uh, I mean, came back from playing basketball, was sitting on her bed and literally studying, and they found her in her room. Um, and it was crushing to me at the time. You know, in college, we're all going through a lot of soul searching and things, and to have that happen just really kind of messed with me. And I went to a psychologist there because I was just so distraught, and I didn't think he was helpful at all. In fact, I was like, I kind of started my notion of, I don't need a psychologist. Like, I don't necessarily feel bad four o'clock on a Thursday. I feel bad in the middle of the night or whatever. And kind of had this belief system that psychologists like help you feel good in the moment and didn't understand the long-term impact they could have. And then when I got to LA and I was really struggling with my weight and I saw it getting in the way of my life and my friendships and I was trying to be an actress and people were telling me I was fat and I was mad that I couldn't lose weight, I went to a psychologist who was a former child star who had eating issues also. And I was like, oh, she'll totally get me. And literally she would sit there in a dark room and go, and what do you think of that? And what do you think of that? And like, I would just regurgitate this stuff back. And again, I didn't get it. I felt like it was expensive and didn't understand it. And, and like, I'm like, that's it. I'm done with psychologists. And then long story short, I was working with a trainer who was like this amazing guy who I totally admired. And one day he was like, I have someone I want you to meet. And he's like, you're really struggling and you shouldn't be. And I was like, what? And he's like, I went to the psychologist and you changed my life. And I was like, um, yeah, no, I don't go to psychologists. I don't believe in them. And he's like, no, no, Dev, you have to trust me. He's like, I had been in 
prison before and I ha- and he's like telling me all this stuff like he didn't talk to his family and like this is one of the kindest most Christian nicest people I'd met and I was like wait what and he's like he changed my entire life and he's like you just have to go talk to him and I was like okay I'm intrigued and then I go and meet Dr. Barry and he was like um, he was willing to even work with me because at the time I didn't have a ton of money and he had and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Barry, but um, I think you had like this booming business um, in which it allowed you to help artists like me at the time for a lower rate. And I remember you saying like, you are the kind of person who needs this most and, and other artists and technically like you're the people who least have the money. Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, that's right. So my work uh, as a consultant uh, which I've been doing since uh, I really got out of graduate school, so 25 so, some odd years, uh, really afforded me the opportunity to offer a sliding scale to select clients, not just artists, but people who I thought were in on a threshold, on a transition moment. Uh, they're very rewarding clients to see, and <clears throat> I appreciate all the credit that you're giving me, but also the credit returned in that you are really ripe for change. And that's something that we'll talk about today, I'm sure, as we talk about how to change and why change is so difficult. Um, But yeah, so I was able to, through my work in the reality TV world, and I still do see, uh, I just get to handpick a select group of clients who are um, in some form of transition moment in their life. So that's that's where I met you. And you were you had you were on a lot of thresholds. You were on yeah. thresholds about your weight and your health and about relationships and about work. I mean, all, you were also in your late twenties, which is a threshold moment, right? That's when we figure out who we really are, and so that's where we met. And uh, all of uh, like you say, nineteen years ago, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I um, it, it's it's just amazing to think that I went from like I don't believe in psychologists and any of that to like what you actually, and I don't think I am giving you too much credit. I mean, obviously like with everyone, like you have to be ready for the change and you have to be open to it. Um, we only have two minutes before a break, but I did want to say that the first things that you ever said to me were the most terrifying, (laughs) (laughs) um, which basically were like, you have to be ready for change. And I was like, uh, what is this? But I will tell you that I now, um, you know, just to wrap that story, as I said, we're going to break in a second, but, um, to wrap the story, like now, as you hear me say, like, I totally believe in psychologists. And one of the best things, and this, the, the second scariest thing you ever said was, okay, like you're done now, like you can go. And after five years of these regular, I was like, wait, what? Like, I'm ready to be on my own. So, um, as I said, we're going to run to break, but when we come back, we are going to talk about, you know, what my transformation was, how, like why behaviors are so tough and then go into the kind of the fun behind the scenes of what happens in the reality shows that you don't know about and how like really there are so many people going to psychologists and how they really do change. And, and if you are stuck at all, like I, I highly recommend that. So everybody please stay tuned and we'll be right back. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Tune in to the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso for an entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussion with some of the top stars in their fields, from business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, literature, and current events. If you're looking for what's next and comparing it to what's now or what's past, look no further than the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. 
My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. You are listening to Have It All with Devin Alexander. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am in the midst of one of the most exciting shows for me ever. Uh, I am introducing you to my personal therapist who transformed me um, from 19 years ago to 14 years ago. Um, And uh, at which time, like, that's when I was seeing him regularly and really working with him. And then he sent me off flying, which is like, whoa, what? Um, But I wanted to jump into, and as I said before the break, like prior to meeting Dr. Barry um, through like just crazy amazing recommendation that I wasn't even looking for, um, I didn't believe in psychologists and like so many people had this negative connotation and was like, I can never afford that and and so many things. Um, But the interesting thing was, so when I did meet him, um, we sat down for the first time and he said one of the most terrifying things besides it's time for you to go and not come back here every week anymore, um, which was uh, you have to come to three sessions if I talk to you at all. Um, and he's like, you don't have to pay me for the second two if you hate me. Or maybe he didn't say the word hate. It was something like that. And I was like, whoa, what is this going to be? But like basically in order to come at all, I had to like agree to three. And then we were like mutually evaluating evaluating each other but I just remember like one of the things he said in that first session was you have walls up against people who aren't even trying to hurt you and I'm like oh what so I guess I just asked Dr. Barry for the first time over the commercial if he says that to everyone or if that was particular to me but apparently you do say that to everyone yeah I think it's important Uh, research definitely shows like how does psychology work right let's back it into that Research definitely shows that the rapport that you have with your therapist is the single best predictor of success. And so when I start work with anybody, when, I'm, when I meet people on these thresholds when they're about to transform their lives, I really want them to feel like they have the power and the control. So I do that by removing the power at first. You have to commit to three sessions. And what that does in their mind is it takes the ambivalence out of their mind. You know, we've talked about ambivalence a lot. Because I think that, you know, that change requires us to have this wrestling moment with with sometimes more than two sides. So by telling a new client, hey, you've got to commit to three sessions. I just remove that guesswork. Like, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? So that I have time to form a relationship with the person. And that doesn't mean I have to sell myself as a shrink or what it means to be a psychologist. I allow, in fact, a lot of times in those first three sessions, as you hinted at, I'll push someone hard and really see how they respond to that because I want them to feel that they're going to get honest truth, that they're going to get an authentic person, and that they're going to really have somebody who's going to see them from a new angle, right? Because you don't want to just hear yourself regurgitated back at you. You want to hear a new take. And so I try to do all of those things. It's, it's a busy first three sessions, but what, it, what you end up with is at the end of those three sessions, when we mutually commit, right? Because I may say, Devin, you're a great client. I think I can help you. You might not think I'm the guy to help you. And then I'll, I'll find another therapist who'll be a better match. So fortunately, we had a great match. And, uh, and I felt like you were just so primed and ready to start a new chapter in your life. And to me, that's what psychology is all about, is, is, is helping your client see their own story and change the way that they're telling the story to themselves 
Because, you know, so frequently we believe a version of ourselves that we invent when we're 14 or 15. You start to form your identity. And I don't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust a 14-year-old to make decisions about my life as a 27-year-old. And so therapy for me and those first sessions really set this off is about priming the notion that it's time to rewrite your story, to develop a new narrative of who you are. Are you a host of a TV show? Is that all that you're going to be or all that you aspire to be? Or is there something more waiting for you? And that to me is what therapy is about, is hearing someone's story, reflecting it back to them from a different angle. And the other thing that I think I'm really good at, you're, you're great at uh, encouraging people and, and cooking and coming up with your amazing uh, transformative recipes, the indulgent healthy recipes. My, my magic, I think, has always been to give people metaphors and ways of seeing their lives in compact and easily understood ways because, you know, our lives are complicated. So if somebody can sort of parse it out and give you a map to where you're at and where you need to go, that's one of the really important components of trying to change behaviors and trying to change how you're looking at yourself. Well, and one of the things that I really wanted to emphasize was it was interesting because I had said before, you know, this one psychologist, I would sit there and she's like, and what do you think of that? And what? And it was funny because like what I learned, one of the things that I most learned from you is what I think about it was the problem. Um, <laughs> and it's true. Like, you're right. Like, I think we, you know, I mean, I had amazing parents, um, but every single human like has faults and sees some things in the wrong ways. And so I think, you know, part of it was the way a couple times you were like telling me that I was seeing things in completely wrong ways. And I know like one of the instances was I, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm terrified of a lot of animals until I get to know them. And I had a guy that I went on a few dates with say something like, if someone was allergic to my cat, um, they're not the girl for me. And I was like, what? And I thought that was completely wrong. And then you pointed out that like he'd nurtured this cat for 18 years. And of course, he's not getting rid of a cat for an early date. And it was just really interesting because there were so many times that I would say stuff and you'd be like, whoa, 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 what? And kind of explain why my thinking was wrong, even though I was so sure in a weird way it was right. And that's something I often do with clients a lot. Like they are convinced that it's, you know, like I had a client who was living with his parents at 31 and getting mad because they weren't supportive of his diet. And I'm like, dude, you're 31. Like you shouldn't be living in their house. You know, right. Time to start feeding yourself. Right. Uh, like, yeah. And, and no, no, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I'm sure much of your work um, especially when it, as it relates to food and eating, you know, we have such early, you know, very, very immature visions of what those things mean. And thank God we're wrong about so many things, right? Because when you have a misperception or let's call it an accurate, but old perception, you know, something that you way that you thought about yourself that just simply doesn't work. Not that you're wrong, but you were right at the age of 17 that worked for you, you know? But now you're 30 and it's time to update that narrative. But thank God we're wrong because it's when we find those misperceptions that that's what allows us to grow, right? If you just were right about yourself all the time, you wouldn't change anything about yourself. Your behaviors would never change. You would never meet new people. You'd never push yourself into an uncomfortable place where you have to challenge your narrative. And thank God, you know, I just turned 50 this year. I'm still discovering new things about myself. And uh, every, every day that goes by, you know, especially now, you, now that you're a mom, you know, now you have to, all these times where we take on a new role or a new ambition, it gives us both the challenge and the opportunity to completely rewrite your narrative. Now, you're certainly a caring person. You care for your audience and so many people rely on you for your support. But now all of a sudden there's this little human who relies on you for every single thing it's it is of course going to force you to rethink who you are as a person and this is the beauty of life is that we're constantly challenged by we walk into a new space in our world and then we've got to go back and say wait a minute who am i what am i doing what's this new thing 
And how does it tell me what my story is again? And this is why change is so hard. It's because it forces us every time to redefine ourselves. And this is exciting and scary. It's exhilarating, like standing on the edge of a building, you know, where you are looking down, you get this amazing view, but it's also disorienting, right? Because you're now seeing the world from a different angle and it's gorgeous and beautiful, but it's also terrifying and nightmarish because it forces you to see yourself in connection to the world in a totally different way. So all these life thresholds, you know, when you have a child, when you get a new job, when you leave school, when you leave your parents' home, anything where your foundation shifts, it, it, is, it opens up your definition of who you are. And whether you like it or not, you must rewrite who you are. You must rewrite yourself. And this becomes terrifying, but thank God it happens because it's the only way to get to these new versions and these healthier visions of who you are. Well, and I think it's ironic that you brought up Jelly Bean because that's where I was going to go next. Like, as much as I would like to pretend that I walked out of your office perfect, <laughs> um, and that's why you told me to go away, it's interesting because, so I've spent the last few years, you know, like, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone. Like, I work too much. I always thought that I'd randomly, I don't know, meet my husband because I because I was working kind of thing. Like, I'd just run into someone. And that didn't happen. And then I hit 40 and I was like, oh, crap. Like, I really need to make time for this. Like, I can't spend an entire summer writing another Biggest Loser cookbook and, you know, and then wonder why I'm not a mom. Like, if someone didn't actually get in a car accident driving their car into my house over a summer, like, I wasn't meeting him kind of thing. Yeah. And I knew that. And so at 40, I was like, okay, like, I'm really going to find balance. I'm stopping work at 7 o'clock no matter what. Like, I'm going to draw the line a little more and whatever. And then... You know, at that point, I started meeting men who were in just a completely different place. Like they had already had their kids or they, you know, like a lot of people who I would have connected with. But like my deep desire at that age to still be a mom was kind of a little bit of a challenge. And then I learned that I probably like I always thought my insides are probably going to be like my outsides and I could have kids until I'm 50 learned that I was wrong on that and, you know, was still trying to date in this weird, like, universe of, I want someone who wants to have a child, but I probably can't have a child and, you know, and maybe I'll find someone who will adopt and have that wild card out there. And it was finally, like, the fourth person in a row who, after four months and it seeming like it was going to get serious, um, that I really was like... I mean, when he kind of devastated me going, yeah, I changed my mind, wouldn't adopt, you know, didn't, don't want more kids, made me go, oh my God. And I realized now, like so blatantly clearly that the reason I hadn't adopted already on my own was because I felt like I'm about dreams and here I am telling everyone to live their dream. And if I go and do this myself, it's like basically being like my dream to have a husband is never going to come true. And like, I'm giving up on that dream and settling and what, which is, I, which is a complete right. myth, right? There's yeah. no validity to that statement exactly. other than there's some part of you that programmed yourself to believe that math, you know, that yes. having a child means less possibility of finding love, which you have no conception of that as a truth. And this is, this is, that's like a therapeutic moment. Now, obviously you're in a place now, the reason, you know, you talked about starting therapy and finishing therapy. So let's hit on that for a second. Like, how do you know whether or not you need that? Well, there's a moment where you were able to provide that feedback for yourself, right? You saw it. You were like, oh, wait a minute. That's not really true. That's a story. That's a myth that I'm telling myself. And therapy trains you to observe yourself. I'm sure, like, I, and my own therapist, uh, you know, I think I hear his voice all the time. I'll do something and all of a sudden I'll hear my therapist and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's what Jeff would say. You know, he would have said this and this and this. And what I'm doing is, is I'm doing for myself what therapy had done for me, which is to challenge those irrational assumptions. Look, the human mind is great at making associations, right? It puts things together. It associates things. It associates pain with a certain kind of experience or pleasure with a certain kind of experience. That's super valuable. Thank you, brain. That's what it does. But you know what? It's not very good at checking itself. 
Because just because those two things are connected doesn't mean they're truthfully connected because it could just be circumstance or randomness or something someone told you when you were a child or something that you believed about yourself that isn't true anymore. And this is why therapy or a mentor or a spiritual guy, leader, a priest or a rabbi, all of these people in your life um, who give you a third perspective, another angle on, your, on yourself. But then what you want to hope is that as you mature, you become better and better at observing yourself and knocking yourself out of those false beliefs. And this was, and you really had a vision of yourself, uh, you know, that uh, being a mother meant you couldn't be a, a partner, a romantic partner. That is completely not true. And here you are, hopefully you'll discover that for yourself with good empirical evidence in the real world. And that Jelly Bring, you know how much she has, how much joy she has bought to, brought to your life and how much more joy you have to share now. Right. Well, it's funny because so we have about two and a half minutes to a break again, believe it or not. Um, these are this is going so fast. But what I was going to say about that is, yes, there, that piece is like super, super integral. And you're right. Like you had said to me when I was just like, wait, what? I can't come back here. I mean, not that I can't come back, but like I don't need to come back here every week. You're like, you already hear me. And it's true. Like I do rip apart my life like that. Um it, the interesting thing this time, because 10 years ago, I had like flippantly said to a few of my friends, like, oh, um, I was thinking of adopting. And one of them's like, you're such a bleeding heart. And it's interesting because now my friends are like these entrepreneurs um, for the most part, like not everybody, but I have so many entrepreneur friends who are like, let's charge the world. Like I'm part of this group called Fempire, which is female empire builders. And like, that's who feeds me. And so when I told them I was thinking about this, like one of them was like, yes, good idea. You'll have the child forever. You don't have to break up with someone else and maybe lose the child. And like this woman was a single mom. And then, you know, it was so interesting because all of my friends like, offer different pieces. And then my beach tennis group threw a shower for me. And one of the women who struggles a lot in life literally started crying. And she's like, I'm so glad you're doing this. She's older than I am. And she's like, I wanted to do that and never had the courage to do it. And in that moment, when she said that, like, I was still terrified of all of this. But hearing her and then all the reasons my friend told me that, like other friends told me that it was the right thing, I was a million percent sure that this is right. And it has really felt right. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you know, there's a real interest, so much we could say about self-criticism versus pushing yourself. You know, those two things that you've always been good at being a critic to yourself. (laughs) But as you've gotten older, you've become so much better at, li- at seeing those pushes as drive and not criticism. And that's that's what you're talking about with Jellybean. Awesome. Okay, we have to go to break again. But when we come back, we're going to... Actually, I'm going to jump into how people can um, uh, figure out who is the right therapist for them if, if they are interested in seeing one. And then we'll also talk a little reality TV. This is going so fast. Stay tuned, everyone. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Have It All with Devin Alexander. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, Dr. Barry. Okay, so I would love to hear you tell us how if we do have access to you, um, we would find a therapist so that, or psychologist, I should say, that doesn't end up being the experience that I had with the first couple I tried, believing that therapy didn't work. Well, I think, I mean, to some degree, it's unavoidable that you might meet somebody who is a bad match. But you have to realize finding a therapist, like finding any partner, romantic or business partner or anything like that, requires rapport. Right, Having a connection to that person and believing that they can help you is the most important indicator. Not what school they went to, not even what their degree is. Uh, to a certain extent, their level of experience is important. But, but really feeling and believing that that person can help you change is really the most important thing. So what you should do is you should first ask around if you think that you need therapy. How do you know that? Well, this, what it means is that you have some part or some part aspect of your life that you've been trying to change, but you keep repeating the bad side of that cycle. That's one reason you might need a therapist. The other one is that you might have experienced some great loss and you've, you've, you've retreated. You loss of a spouse or loss of a partner or loss of a parent can bring someone into therapy. And the third thing is if, some, if your behavior is wildly out of your norm. So that the behavior is large enough and weird enough that you say, oh, this is not right. So, so those are some of the reasons you might call. And then you're going to do as much as you can to canvas your friends and see who they've helped. That, that was how you found me. But also, really, the most important thing is that you get in front of a few people on the phone. And you ask them for, you say, hey, can we chat on the phone about how you do therapy and how you work? Most therapists I'll be happy to do that. Most will encourage you to come in, which is okay. And then you want to interview a couple therapists and you want to leave that therapy and say to yourself, yeah, I believe this person can get me to change. Can be." And so with my therapy clients, I try to always leave them with some nuggets of optimism and some hopefulness because that's the counter, the counter agent to what it is that they've brought in, which is a, a sense that there's no way they can change that. That's the only reason anybody goes into therapy. They hit a point where they're like, I'm never going to be able to do this. And so bringing them back to a place of hopefulness is, is how I try to start that relationship. Mm. Okay. Um, so how, when someone is stuck, like, well, I will say when I met you, I was at my lowest weight ever and more stuck. Like I had been in Overeaters Anonymous and managed to white knuckle myself to like a size two yeah. and um, was honestly miserable um, because of that. And so it was a weird, you know, like having been heavy, wasn't in therapy. And then here I am this super thin person that honestly, what happened is everybody looked at me and thought that I was happy and normal and whatever. And the truth was I was struggling as much as when I was, if not more as when I was really heavy because, and it was interesting because at the time, like part of what enabled me to lose the weight was I was addicted to, I don't know if you remember this, but I was addicted to the body for life, um, shakes, like not in a, um, like in an addiction, your sort of way, like not a chemical addiction. There's nothing like in them. Right. And then you were like, you can't have them anymore. And I was like, wait, what? Um, (laughs) Like that's what like had me lose my weight. And you were like, you have this big dream to like travel and like, you know, do. And it's kind of funny in retrospect because you're like, what if you're in Germany and like you can't get them? Then what happens? You crumble in the middle of a job. And I'm like, uh, and you're like, you have to eat real food. And it was funny because I've since had to travel to Germany to do the cruise ships. And I wouldn't have probably been able to get Body for Life shakes necessarily on the cruise ships. Um, I mean, I could have packed a million, but God forbid it got stuck or like lost in my luggage. But um, that's a great that's a great point is that, you know, especially when it comes to food and eating and weight, the number on that scale or the, even the inches around your body, this is not an, the only indicator of health. 
you can be you can be a sober uh, alcoholic and and be in a terrible place in your life that it's not just that you are sober that makes you healthy it's not just that your body is smaller that makes you healthy that having a relationship with food and eating or a relationship with the problems that you're having or with the partners that you're in your life that this is it's it, it really boils down to your sense of self because you could be a miserable skinny person or you can be a content person of a little bit more weight and it's your relationship with your body and your relationship with yourself that makes you healthy or not and that's all what therapy is about right because I can't walk around and pull spoons out of people's mouths if they're <laughs> overeating, right? I have right. to have them change the way that they're thinking about themselves. And that is the, that is the core uh, uh, principle towards how their behavior will change. The way that you feel about yourself is at the heart of all of your behavior. Be I mean, that's just obvious, right? To say that sounds like you wouldn't need a, a, a doctorate in clinical psychology to believe that. But change is a really slippery and difficult thing, right? We're all terrified of it. We all want it all the time. You have a li everyone has a laundry list of the things that they wish were better or bigger or thinner or stronger or more money or whatever it is. And yet, you know, so few people are willing to do the work to look at themselves and to understand the pattern and the narrative that brought them to the place of this tremendous distress. Right. And so, yeah. And I, I mean, I wanted to share that example because like in retrospect, it seems even silly to me, but I've had to wrestle the same thing with my clients in a way with different, like I had a client who lost 140 pounds and he was eating a shrimp cocktail at every meal, which right. shrimp cocktail is a little easier to get. But I was like, and he would literally, he felt safe, like eating the same thing all the time. And right. I was like, look, you know, two months from now, that might be fine. Six months from now, but this is forever. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to eat the exact same meal in the exact same way every day forever. But yeah, but, but going back and, and switching the, the behavior. Like like, Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Right. Yeah, no, it's, no. Yeah, exactly. Like just making sure that you have more than shrimp cocktail, because as I said, at some point you're just going to be so sick of shrimp cocktail. And then what if I'm not there? Well, so, the story, but it's a, it's a great example because it's a story that he told himself that he had to have that thing in order to live the life that he was living. But of course that's not true. There's no magic shrimp cocktail <laughs> that will change your life. There's no shake that will make you thin. What makes you thin and what get, makes your relationship with food healthy is your relationship with yourself and the stories that you tell yourself about how you eat and about who you are. Well, and I should say just as like the 180 degrees for me is, you know, if people saw my house, like people come in and they'll be like, wow, if there's like a natural disaster in California, I'm coming here. Like there is so much food in my house because brands send me things. And then yeah. like, I always have to have chocolate chips here because we're making my brownies to drop off. And like, if you would have ever showed me my pantries and told me that I would be this size, I'd be like, you're insane balls. Yeah, because so, you, had told, you had told yourself that if those things are around, I will eat them. You probably said that to yourself a thousand times. So you said, so, so, so it's a great example of how therapy works and how change works is that you have to alter that inner voice and you have to catch yourself saying it. So you say, look, whenever there's food around, like for me, well, maybe this will be a transition. When I'm working on a reality TV show, as you know, when you're on set, it's almost like they fire a bazooka of snack food at you. It's just yeah, food. It's <laughs> and it's all terrible. It's all like comfort. Like, you know, it's all very high calorie, very calorie dense, snacky comfort foods. And like my narrative always was when I'm on set, I just eat from the moment I get there until I leave. And, uh, and to be able to say to yourself, you know what, I can be a person who can be around that food and I don't need to eat it. I can choose to eat some of it, but that it's a choice. See, the difference between those two things, one, it has me passive and a victim of that circumstance, and the other one puts me active and in control. And that's the difference between a healthy relationship to that food and an unhealthy relationship. You know what? I So I have a question for you along those lines and we will jump into, um, I'm actually going to ask you like a real question now, Yeah, go ahead. but it's kind of funny. So I don't know lullabies really. I realized that after Jellybean arrived. So sometimes, and she actually likes this, I sing to her, 
I love broccoli. I love peaches. I love <laughs> apples. I love kale. Kale, kale, kale. <laughs> and she seems to like these songs that I do. <laughs> yeah, she's like you say, she's definitely going to be a fantastic eater. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope that's true. I literally, you know, there's that one isn't like a set song. Yeah, um, no. But, but uh, um, go ahead, Richard. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, like, I mean, am I crazy for doing that? <laughs> no, I mean, look, you're not crazy in the sense that you, what you're trying, what you're really trying to counter is the universal narrative that those foods are nasty and not good. And what you're saying is, no, look, a food is fun and all these things have, if the energy that you're projecting around them is delightful, then you're hoping the jelly bean will make that association. That's a great, there's no reason not to do that. You can't predict how she's going to respond to food and really her relationship with food and yours and mine have to do with what happens when she doesn't like kale and what happens when she does stuff her face full of bread. And then you're like, oh, that's not so healthy it because it's 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 a response. It, we often learn our narrative to food based on how people respond to how we're eating. And so part of it, sure, is is providing plentiful choices, allowing your daughter to be active in those choices and to find the things that she likes. But I got to tell you, like, you know, I have two kids and I love to cook. You know, one of the things that we share as friends is our delight and love of experimenting and trying new things. And, uh, and there's nothing more frustrating. You'll, you're, you're going to find it out when you <laughs> put together some really creative thing that has like three of her favorite foods just layered and then she won't eat it because it's all on the same plate. You know, like, this <laughs> is how kids do it. And so, yeah. so, so I think the notion is, it's, so then how do you respond to that? You know, with my, with my kids, they have a very, I would say, a lower number of foods than I would love for them to eat. But they have, they're all healthy choices because that's all they're ever presented. So maybe they eat eight things. They eat edamame and broccoli and cauliflower and tofu and brown rice and tortillas and cheese like i've probably hit every like that's 90 percent of what my kids eat but wow. that's not too bad and if, yeah. they, if, they, if they just ate those veggies and some whole grains and and some beans and some and some veggie broth soup like they're eating okay so it's my hang up that i want them to eat you know this amazing miso eggplant roasted dish that i just made and they look <laughs> at it like nah we'll stick with broccoli you know it's not a bad second choice but i don't shame them for those choices and right. I continually encourage them to try new things. Those foods are always on the table. I don't care what they eat. As long as they eat the foods I put on the table, they're going to, maybe they're a little hungry for the next meal, but then they'll eat the broccoli and the rice because it's there. And uh, so that's the idea. So you give them a spectrum of choices and you don't set up the narrative to them that making the, making the wrong choices means that they're bad people or that that comes with shame because you know, shame is, an integral part of a poor eating uh, cycle or really any behavior, right? Where you and I've often talked about food, but it's true for any behavior. Uh, it's the response to that behavior and what you tell yourself about that behavior that really sets you up for a cycle, whether or not that behavior gets repeated and whether or not that repetition becomes a cycle of, of, uh, of dysfunction. Right. Okay. So this stinks, but we have three minutes left. So right. very quickly, one, if people want to get more information from you, is there a place to do that? Sure. They could they could email me at my not all that memorable but succinct uh, email address, which is drb, the letters, or Dr. B, uh, drb at toast, like the burnt bread with butter on it, dot net, drb at toast dot net. And I can send maybe, I'll have a little bit, I'll write this up, what we've talked about today and put it a little bit more thoroughly. How do you change? How do you deal with repeat, uh, repeat behaviors? How to find a therapist? I'll write a little thing I'll send to anybody who, uh, who says hi and tells me how much they appreciate you. <laughs> and then um, we literally have like a minute. Is there any way you can just tell us why reality shows have therapists? Because there are competing interests on big dramatic shows. And producers and creative uh, executives want to make the most drama they can make, which is great. Biggest story, most interesting. My job is to take out of their hands the problem of what would be the limit to that and how to make sure they do that without causing harm. 
and in many shows, like, you know, we've worked on so many positive shows, how to maximize their change. So I'm there to deal with the human factors of the drama of the shows that they're making. I do that so, either with, with assessment or with counseling people who are on these shows. And are you able to reveal, like, a couple of the shows that you've worked on, or is that still... Sure, sick? I worked on Biggest Loser, I work on Shark Tank, I worked on... I just fin- we just finished the next season of Top Chef Junior, uh, which is an amazing uh, cooking show, if you haven't caught that one yet. Uh, young kids doing incredible chefery. And uh, really, a Jersey Shore is a show. Uh, we could talk a whole episode about that, because uh, I did a lot of work that's pretty public, because... My friend Vinny from that show has wrote a book, whole book about our work together. So yeah, so any show you name, I've I've been in the business for about nineteen years, uh, and uh, and so I've seen it seen it all on reality TV. Which and I will end with this. So Dr. Barry and I being on Biggest Loser was completely separate from you know I said I worked with him nineteen years ago. I got hired on Biggest Loser in um, in ten years, and at that time I wasn't even telling anybody that I'd ever gone to a therapist. And, um, it was, I had done the show. It was my first time I was ever on the show. And I later get not knowing that Dr. Barry was even working on it, get this amazing email. That's like, I'm so proud of you. Um, he's like, I was behind the scenes, um, while you were filming and, I, I forget what the rest, it was just the nicest, nicest thing. And he's like, I just wanted to be like, I know her. Um, so, and obviously he couldn't, um, but so anyway, everyone, I'm super bummed that we have to wrap here, but we do. Um, I hope everybody um, was enlightened today. As I said, this um, episode is really special to me, um, mostly because I have one of the people who has changed me the most and has made just such a huge impact in the world, but never takes credit for it. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Barry. And um, I hope everybody will tune in next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Have It All. Be sure to join Devin Alexander for another great show next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until we talk again, have a fit and fun week.